What I want to ask a question first. Have you ever heard someone come up to you uh, and you've told them you're a Christian and, and they say there's a huge difference between the God of the Old Testament who is an angry judgmental God and the God of the New Testament who seems to be a God of love and compassion and how can you pair up those two things and similarly likewise you People wonder about how some preachers can be preaching judgment and wrath, the judgment and wrath of God, and, ha- and our sin, and others can solely be talking about love and kindness and compassion. How is it that it's the same God? And unsurprisingly, you know, people from other faiths or atheists will come and say, well, the New and the Old Testament are different. They are different gods. I want to have a look at a passage. Um, well, we're going to be looking at a passage in Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans 1. So if you've got your Bibles, open to Romans 1. Um, and there's a couple of reasons why I'm looking at this passage. Well, the first is uh, that next year uh, in the ben- men's Bible study, I'm hoping that we will be studying Romans. The first time I studied Romans, so there's a reason why I'm following this, the, this trend, because when I was at university, I started going to a church which was very, very strongly evangelical, very strongly Bible-based, uh, and the first year I, we studied John, John's Gospel, and I came to it and think, uh, thinking, I know John's Gospel, I've grown up with the Bible, I know all the stories, they're lovely stories. And then as I studied John, the first time I'd studied a whole book from start to end, seeing the themes run through it, it absolutely blew my mind. How could this guy, a fisherman, have written such a document, such a manuscript? Only by the Spirit of God, only by the guidance of God. In the second year... It's kind of like the sequel. You, you kind of don't expect the sequel to be quite as good. And we studied Romans. And again, I thought, okay, I know Romans. I know the teachings of Romans. But we studied it through from start to end. And what Paul does in the first half, he knocks down every single argument that the Jews can have against Christianity. One by one, consistently drawing from the Old Testament, knocking down the arguments one by one. And that's what I want to share and continue to learn with in the men's Bible study. Uh, and so I hope that some of you can join us for that. Um, the second reason was that I was sent uh, a short video by uh, a friend, um, and it was about a pastor who, was, who blamed all of the current ills and the way he phrased it was old conservative white straight white men and there are one or two here you know i certainly don't blame them i fall into a couple of those categories Uh, and yes my generation the generation above we have a lot to answer for but that also should be shared And it's a dangerous thing for a pastor to be saying that. And my friend was worried about the implications of what he was saying, that it was okay to be homosexual, and what influence it would have on the younger generation and children. 
So I want to answer that in, uh, in using this passage today, and I want to share a little bit of what I answered, uh, answered him. So looking at Romans 1, starting from verse 16 and going all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. So Romans 1, verse 16. If you've got um, a digital device, you might want to turn to the ESV version, which I, I'm reading, um, the English Standard Version. The righteous shall live by faith. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By Greek here, he's talking about the, uh, the rest of the world. The implication is, so in the NIV, I know it's to the Gentile. So, for in, uh, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, uh, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give, him, uh, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images re resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. For God gave them up in the lusts of their heart, hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave, gave up natural relations with w women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did, uh, did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, uh, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Let me pray as we look at this passage. Father, we, this is difficult teaching, this is challenging teaching, these are strong words. Lord, we pray that you 
Give us your spirit, your spirit of truth and justice, of love and compassion to understand these words and what you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that you challenge us and you change us, Lord, that we can live lives more according to your word and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the clip that I was sent was implying that homosexuality was okay. And the worry was that this was a pastor, a person in authority, a pastor, that, a person that people look up to, was saying that this was okay. Well, this is addressed in the passage, isn't it? Verse 28, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations, uh, relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now I've heard all the arguments, in fact, or rather, I've heard many of them. But the Bible, uh, and Paul is pretty clear, Elsewhere and here, that homosexuality, the homosexual act is wrong. I had um, a, a former pastor of mine who were, came out as gay, and that was fine. He said that to uh, commit uh, homosexual acts was wrong, but, to, but he himself uh, had homosexual desires. So... Um, and, and I know that's difficult teaching, um, but he continued as, in his position as, uh, as a pastor and preacher, uh, and he said that those things were wrong. To preach otherwise were to, to deny God uh, what God has ordained and to deny the word of God. And this is where liberal Christians fall down. They're happy to preach love and compassion, but to preach something that's unpopular against what is socially acceptable, that, it, that is something that they will not do. I once gave a talk about the role of women in the Church of England, and I won't go into exactly what I said now, but a student asked me, asked me but why would the church hold a position that was unpopular? And my answer then is the same as my answer now, Wherever the church in the past has compromised, wherever the church has just wanting, uh, wanted to teach um, watered-down morality, it becomes indistinguishable from the world around it, doesn't it? And so the world will no longer see the, the point of the church. There is no point of the church if it doesn't teach something that challenges if it just teaches this watered-down morality the same as social conscience, then there is no point in the church. It becomes meaningless. The message of salvation itself is challenging and offensive. And I talked about that Easter. Furthermore, if we are picking and choosing what we believe from the church, uh, sorry, from the Bible, well, we're making up our own God, aren't we? And that's idolatry. And the, the, the passage very clearly says 
preachers against idolatry, people who worship creatures rather than the creator. And sometimes that's us. The creature we're worshipping is us. My wants, my needs, what I believe to be right, that's what I'm worshipping, that's what I'm putting above everything else. So if we're picking and choosing from the Bible, no, I don't like that, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm just going to put that to one side. That doesn't mean that we should find everything easy to understand and we shouldn't keep asking about it and we shouldn't try and understand it. That doesn't mean that we're going to understand everything. But if we are Christians and we've given, uh, said that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, that word Lord, then we are bound to honour him and obey him. Now I'm sure that, that we have a few liberals here and I hope that I have challenged you on this. The Bible is the living word of God and if we believe that God is very much alive and guiding us by his spirit, if we believe in a God who has precisely created us and the human body is such an amazing thing, in fact every living thing is such an amazing thing and the universe is such an amazing thing. I've known scientists who have been converted, who have realised uh, the existence of God just by looking at, at studying science. And that's what it says earlier. Creation is evidence enough in this passage. Creation is evidence enough. If we believe in that God, then surely he would make sure that he preserves his word for us. And he puts his spirit in us so that we can understand his word. Because if you are saying, oh, the Bible has been uh, mistranslated and the Bible has been uh, changed and the Bible has lost its meaning. Well, if you're saying that, then your idea of God is far, far, far smaller than my idea of God. Because he created these humans which are so perfect in the way that our bodies work and the, the creation around us. But on to the problem with the other side. And this is what I want to get to. And I'm sorry that some people have left because uh, this is the other side of the argument. On to the problem with conservative Christians, of, sure, of whom I am sure we have a greater number here. Because, and this is where I'm going to get into trouble. See, you, look, you see, when we look at this list, we look at everything around us and we think what a terrible, horrible world we live in. We look at other people, we think how horrible they are and how fallen they are and how far from the grace of God they are. Because that's, there's a repeated phrase here, God gave them up, God gave them up three times. God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity in verse 24. God gave them up to dishonorable passions in verse 26. God gave them up to a debased mind in verse 28. In the NIV, the translation is God handed them over. You see, here God is letting them loose on themselves. He's letting us loose on themselves. I saw a documentary once about what happens when you have about 28-year-olds loose in a house without any adult supervision. You can imagine what happened. Those of you who with, with children, those of you who are teachers, 
You, in fact, it doesn't need anyone with, who has had children or, or to be a teacher to know what's going to happen if you let loose um, a whole load of eight-year-olds together without adult supervision. And they thought, okay, they thought it would take a couple of days before chaos would start to reign. Took a couple of hours. And the viewers were shocked when there were fights and there were tears and there was hurt and there was breaking of things. But we're adults, aren't we? We're adults. We, can, we know better. We have a, a sense of order. God lets us loose on ourselves. And this is why we have the chaos and trouble in the world now. God lets us loose on ourselves. He hands us over to ourselves. We reject him. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Verse 23, exchanging God for idols. Verse 25, exchanging truth for a lie about God. Verse 28, no acknowledging God. But what's the problem here? Isn't that the world around us? We have, I, I, so far I, I probably haven't offended anyone on the conservative side. The problem here is that sometimes as conservative Christians, and I do count myself among them, we look around at this terrible world and we use this list to bash people. How terrible they are because they commit homosexual acts. How terrible they are because they are murderers and liars and thieves. But what does it say? Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse. It's talking to us. Oh man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Let's have a look at this list again, down at verse 29. With the same voice, he says, They are filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, conscious, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You're probably thinking, okay, that's not a great list. I don't murder. I you know, might envy a little bit when the, my neighbor gets a brand new car. Um, covetousness, yes. And I get a little bit malicious, you know, when somebody is, you know, it's just not a very nice person. So they kind of deserve it. Let's go on this list. They are gossips. They are slanderers, haters of God, insolent. Okay, it's getting a little bit more close to home. Haughty. That means looking down on others. Precisely what we're doing. Boastful. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Don't know about you, that's... That was definitely me. <laughs> Foolish. Faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is all of us. In the same breath, all of these things. Because we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to those around us. We should be comparing ourselves to the perfect God. The God who cannot bear to look at us because he is sickened by what he sees. Our selfishness, our greed, our foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness and ruthlessness. 
And all the greater we see what God has done. He has reached into, it's like a murky, muddy depth of earth and pulled us out of that. And what does he wash us with? The blood of his son. Jesus who died on the cross to save us. That is what makes us clean in the eyes of God. He reaches down into the murky depths, the muddy depths, the filthy depths of humanity where we were and we still live and he washes us clean. I've talked about before the roof of the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo's painting, where Adam is just very lazily holding out his hand like this. And God, on the other hand, is straining every sinew and muscle to reach us. That doesn't go far enough. Because we didn't even do anything. All we did was we accepted this salvation. And God pulls us out of the depths. So what should our reaction to this passage be? Well, let's have a look at what the opposition of what this passage implies. Verse 21, where we formerly rejected him, we must accept him, accepting Jesus as our saviour. Verse 23, we must not make idols of things, of money, of power, of comfort, of ourselves, of what we want to do. Verse 25, we must continue to seek truth. We must not, uh, we, we must read his word, not shying away from difficult teaching, but be challenged and changed by it. Verse 28, we must acknowledge him in everything we do. And how should we react to a pastor who preaches that these sins are okay? Well, we must say that that is wrong. But firstly, we must teach salvation. Preach salvation that Jesus offers. Because without salvation, without acknowledging Jesus as our, not only as our Saviour, but as our Lord, people will never understand what is sinful sinful it does not mean evil as the eye as the eyes of the world understands it sinful means rejecting God only when they have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior are they able to acknowledge these these teachings we must gently point them to Jesus Jesus is clear and certain teaching in love and in humility. I have many, uh, I have a few very good gay friends. And I continue to pray for them and I continue to try and witness to them. Love them in humility. I'm happy to tell them I, I believe what they're doing is wrong. In the same way that when I talk to Muslims, I believe what you're doing is wrong. In the same way I talk to atheists, I believe what you're doing is wrong. I think that as a good friend, we should be pointing that out to our friends and develop those friendships. People who are happy for me to tell that to them and them happy to tell me that. 
but I continue to love them in love and humility because we too cannot judge because we were saved by the grace of God not by anything that we did not by being perfect or pure or without sin not by our own goodness it is by humbly accepting that our own fallen natures that we can reach out in love and show others the way Jesus talks about himself as the way the truth and the life Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life then this is the hard teaching no one comes to the Father except through me it is by accepting our fallen humbly accepting our fallen natures that we can reach out with love to show others the way and to acknowledge God as the only way to salvation so before condemning others before calling out their sin because railing against homosexuality uh, before all of that we must love them we must try and share the gospel to them As soon as I say that I'm a Christian to many homosexuals, you can see that they are, their backs are up straight away. They are on the defensive. They are on the aggressive. And that is, yeah, that is in some ways fair because they have been treated poorly by Christians in the past. I hope that those who have walked out uh, can, well, I hope that they weren't too offended, but I hope that they can listen to the rest of this. We must treat them with love and show them that we are, we are disciples of a God who lo- is the loving and compassionate God. But yes, what they are doing is wrong, what atheists are doing is wrong, what Muslims are doing is wrong, what anyone else is doing is wrong. And what we are doing continually even though we know better, is wrong. Verse 16 is one of my memory verses. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The righteous shall live by faith. This is what we must preach in love and humility. Let me pray. Father, we pray for those who... uh, those who are offended by, uh, by the teachings here. We pray that your love can break into their hearts. Lord, we pray for each one of us here today that we can know the right words to say that you humble us and that you fill our love your hearts with love for the lost for the broken for the terrible things that are going on in this world Lord it's hard to look at this world without flinching without hurting Lord how much more painful it must it be for you Lord, we thank you that you reached down into the depths, the mire, and you pulled us out. That you saved us, that you sent your son to die 
before us. And Lord, help us to live our lives trying to be worthy of that salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.